Hello. All right, that's all right. You guys can hear me now a little bit better? All right, no, not yet. All right, let's get in there. Let's get in there. Okay. So my name is Patrick Genova. My wife and I have the privilege of leading the youth and family ministry here at the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ. Yes, it is awesome. Uh, today, I want to talk about the upside-down kingdom. The upside-down kingdom. So, move this out of the way here. So the upside-down kingdom, that doesn't work. All right. I'll use this. This is better. All right. There we go. All right. So imagine for a second you're living in, you're living in the ancient world. You're living in the first century. Um, you know, you're being oppressed by a kingdom. You're being oppressed by a king. And, um, you know, you're feeling suffocated. You feel, you feel like your rights are being trampled. You feel oppressed. Um, you just feel like your voice is never heard. You feel exhausted that nobody really cares about you as a person. And nothing is really fulfilling you. No purpose. No vision. You know, a lot of us serve kingdoms like this currently. We can serve kingdoms like this right now. You know, and the result is you feel burnt out, lacking direction, lacking meaning, feel like it's just a bunch of rules, you know, that the kingdom never seems to really work in your favor. And we can be slaves to these types of kingdoms, right? We can serve them. And these things can manifest themselves in our schools, in our jobs, in human approval, family. Those things can, can take over our lives, and that's what we live to serve. And we can feel burnt out and joyless when they deliver nothing in return. I want to talk a little bit about some of our current, our current kingdom status, right? He's relaxing, right, on a beach, but he's not really relaxing. It's on the phone, business, right? And so we can feel this constant pressure in this current kingdom, right? Pressure to perform, the pressure, the pressure of standards, the pressure of living up to your idea of who you, re- who you want to be and what you want to achieve. Melinda Gates, um, she wrote an article about workaholic culture needs to end, and, um, you know, she's an amazing philanthropist. And uh, she said, in fact, most companies are asking employees to work more, um, yeah, to work more than the American Workweek. The American Workweek has soared from less than 40 hours to nearly 50 hours. And then she goes on to talk about how technology, it, it makes it so much harder to disconnect. People end up leaving these jobs that are seeking the work-life balance. And they, they realize they can't have it, so they leave. So there's less diversity in the workplace, right? And then the people that are there, because they're just trying to keep their heads above water, they, they don't, they're not effective. And so this, this burnout is starting to take place in our, in our culture, in our society. It's just work, work. That's what it's all about right now. And I want to talk about an alternative kingdom, one that Jesus offers. That's not about the pressures to perform, the standards. And there are standards, of course, but it is a new opportunity. It's a different value system. And, you know, what Jesus offers, it's a paradox, this upside-down kingdom. It's completely reversed, right? Where weakness, we have strength. Through death, we have life. Through lordship and surrender, we have freedom. We trade the visible for the invisible. And we, we can be poor yet rich. And this is what we have an opportunity to be a part of in Christ. I want to play a little video here in a sec. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile. But a few remained in the city. And there it left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem 
was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger and he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king. And that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. And so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel... They mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom that needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus... This is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated 
death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom and to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. Thanks. For- All right. Awesome. And today, you know, I want to I want to present that. I want to talk about that. There's so many things we can talk about when it comes to this upside down kingdom, what it all means and what it's all about. And the Bible is is full of paradox, full of these things. And I want to talk about two today. The first one I want to talk about is in weakness, we have strength In weakness. We have strength It talked about that. And in this kingdom, it's actually when you are your most imperfect self, you're actually stronger. It is the only kingdom in the world that exists that the weaker you are, the stronger you can actually be. You try to be weak in any other circumstances, any other kingdom you try to serve, and you will become invaluable. You, I mean, you won't be valued in that kingdom, right? So I'm going to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. This is Paul talking. He says, Or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak... Then I'm strong. So Paul is talking here about a thorn he had. This is his second letter to the Corinthians. And he had a heavyweight battle going on with the Corinthian church. If you read his previous letter and just the history of his relationship with that church. I think he just got to a point where he had just been he was broken down in his relationship. But at the same time, he saw them making strides. And, you know, you have breakthrough in your friendships, but it's like been so exhausting. And finally, you have like these moments of vulnerability, like I'm just trying to do the best I can here. You know, and I think that's where Paul was at, because in, in the second Corinthian letter, it becomes much more autobiographical in nature. And it's a lot more vulnerable sharing from Paul. And this is part of that. And he talks about how he had this thorn. He had this thing that just it, it couldn't it couldn't be removed. And scholars speculate on what it actually was. It could have been a physical illness. Um, You know, it could have been a mental illness. It could have been persecution. So there's a lot of speculation about what this thorn actually might have been. But what we know is that God had great purpose in that thorn. God had great purpose uh, for that weakness. And Paul got to that place with God where he asked God to remove it. He realized that God was not going to remove it. And he had to admit to himself his humanity. I think that can be so hard, you know, when we when we see our weaknesses to admit our weaknesses to God, to ourselves, to others, you know, and Paul's thorn was a constant reminder to him of his humanity. It was a constant reminder to him that he needed a savior, that he needed God. But he had to be courageous to admit this. I mean, in the Corinthian culture that valued so much power, dominance, eloquence, wisdom, all of those things to admit weakness was such a risk, especially if he's trying to influence people for Christ. So to to admit that he's weak was a huge risk on his part. But he knew that in admitting his weaknesses, his humanity, he would find strength in doing so. And so this isn't different from what Jesus said. Jesus answered them. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
right? We have to realize our weakness. We have to realize we need a savior. If we don't think we're, if we think we're well, we're doing everything great, we're, we're just the strongest people on earth, then where's the room for Jesus in our lives, right? We have to be willing to admit those things in order to have Christ's power rest on us. So I have a story. My, my family's here today. My mom and dad came from Maryland, so they came to visit. Yeah, they're sitting over there next to my amazing wife. And this is the, the fam here. This is a picture of all of us. Italian, Genova Strong uh, is the picture. So, and, you know, every vacation it became this um, kind of uh, concern because every vacation something would go wrong with me. I, I would either get sick or I would break a bone, you know, just something would always happen uh, on vacation. So it became this thing like we were, we were about to go on vacation. I would have even neighbors asking, you know, Pat, you going to be all right on this, on this vacation? I was just like... How, who knows about this? Why does everybody know about this, right? And um, so I was, you know, I got to this place where I was like, all right, I just, I don't want anything to happen to me because when something bad happens to you on a vacation, everybody has to stop what they're doing and make sure you're taken care of. Now, luckily, as you can see, there were a lot of us, um, so we can kind of divide and conquer. And, and my mom and dad would always be the ones that end up having to be there. I remember my mom would spend time in the, in the hospital with me, even on vacation, and she's spending time there. I felt so bad. Like, I never wanted to get sick or something bad happened to me on a vacation. So I had my first asthma attack on vacation. I was like 10 years old. Um, couldn't breathe. Didn't know what was happening. So that was, you know, diagnosed with asthma. Um, you know, I've grown it since, you know, playing ball with the guys. So everything's good now. I broke my leg on vacation. Um, it was another one. I had appendicitis uh, on vacation. You know, so it's, it's always been something, you know, and that's been the, the ongoing uh, joke in the family. And so before we gear up for vacations... We're always like, all right, we'll see how this goes. And so I'm an adult now. I think, I think I've outgrown this, or I thought. So my parents came to visit in Spain. We're going on a little vacation, a little Europe vacation. We just went to Spain and Italy. And, you know, there wasn't really much talk of it, you know, because I think it had been a while since we all went on vacation together and did that. Um, so something bad happened. So I'm thinking everything's going to go great, not thinking about it. Good times, right? This is Cinquetera, Italy. Uh, it was an amazing time, enjoying ourselves. So we went to Cinquetera, Florence, and uh, we went to Venice as well. Um, so this is where it begins in Venice. This is where this is where the downfall starts. All right, we were we were eating. You see the discomfort already on my face, right? So we were eating, having a good time. Um, and, uh, you know, I started to feel a little rumbling, didn't know what was going on, didn't think much of it. So, you know, you keep it moving. There's my brother, John. Um, so this is, you know, this, this is the, <laughs> it's in Venice, you know, the boats. And, you know, you got to, we were on kind of like this island in Venice. So we had to even just take a boat to get to where we were. And uh, that's a picture of us in the boat. Last, last known picture with me smiling on the vacation. And um, what happened was, is I ended up with food poisoning, like violent food poisoning. It was so painful if you've ever had really bad food poisoning. So I made it through the first two legs of the vacation, and then we got to Venice, and it was game over. It was game over for the vacation. And it, and it struck again, the curse of Patrick's illnesses. Struck again. 
This is Lamisha taking care of me with a Powerade bottle. I was never to be seen again on this vacation, unfortunately. And I just, I, I've just been embarrassed to admit when I was sick on vacations because I just knew that it would put a damper on everybody else's fun, you know, when I would get ill on vacations. And, but you know what? Could you imagine if when I had my appendicitis and I didn't admit my stomach was hurting? Right? You know how valuable time is, right, when you have an appendicitis before it just ruptures? So imagine if I didn't, I wasn't willing to admit my stomach was hurting, right? Imagine if when I had my asthma attack, I was not willing to admit that I couldn't breathe. I just went into my room and tried to, you know, suck it up, right, with an asthma attack. Imagine if when I broke my leg, right, I was like, all right, I'll just walk it off. <laughs> I'll just walk this one off. Imagine if when I had food poisoning. I was unwilling to admit my stomach was hurt. You know, I would be in Venice, like, throwing up on people. It would be horrible, you know, but I had to admit it. I had to admit it. I think sometimes we have to admit it to ourselves, you know, when we're weak, when we have an illness, when we have something going on with us, when we have a thorn. Sometimes we just have to admit it, that this is what's really going on. You know, because we live in a culture right now that is all about, you know, being a hero and being like Superman. But we're weak. We are. We're human. We cannot handle all of these demands. It's, it's just too much. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. But do we have the humility to admit that to ourselves? Can we admit to ourselves, I'm not as strong as I thought I was? Are we scared to admit doubts that we might have? Are we embarrassed to admit that you've been maybe living someone else's dream for your life? Embarrassed to admit you're just tired. You're just exhausted. Embarrassed to admit things like, I haven't connected with God in weeks, months, years in a meaningful way. Embarrassed to admit that there's just some things that just don't come natural to you. Come into the light. It is scary, but that is where God can work. Because God has a plan to use your weakness. It is not in vain that you're suffering. God doesn't give us weaknesses in vain. There's a purpose to them. There's a higher purpose for our weakness, and we can find it. When we don't admit what's really going on, we get mad at everything else around us. It causes strife, tension, division when we aren't real with ourselves, and we're not worshiping God in truth. If I didn't admit, you know, that I was having that asthma attack, I could have blamed the air quality, right? I could have said these mountains are impeding on the airflow to this where we are right now. Um, I could have blamed God. God, why didn't you put enough oxygen in the earth? Right? I'm suffering right now. I could have blamed a lot of things. But when I admitted it, I received the help that I needed. I received the care that I needed. And just, I want to encourage you, just admit to yourself. Admit these things to yourself, whatever it may be. And admit it to God. And watch him use it to his glory. When we admit our weaknesses and when we admit our humanity, ultimately, we can really see God work. We can see God intervene and come to the rescues. You know, just like with my illnesses, I admitted it and I became strong again. I was strengthened. And, and, and I, you know, I had the asthma attack, but it made me, you know, play sports. I trained harder and it was able to be turned into a strength. And that's what God can do with all of our weaknesses. And what did Paul learn? Right from his weaknesses, he learned some extremely valuable lessons. 
that God's grace is sufficient, that God's grace is enough. He doesn't have to be Superman. You don't have to be Superman, Superwoman. God's grace is enough. It's sufficient. And he also realized that God was protecting him from becoming self-reliant or self-indulgent and conceited. And just because, I want to encourage you, he's not talking about let's just all be complacent here. Just because you're admitting something, it doesn't mean you're going to stay there. But that's where God works when we put stuff into the light. That's where God can, you, you can see God's power in your life. Admitting it is just the first step to finding that strength in God. And God has a great plan for your weakness. And in this upside-down kingdom, you can give yourself permission to be human. And you will find strength in God. The king himself gives you permission and desires to see your weaknesses so that he can strengthen you. The second paradox I want to talk about today is in surrender, we find freedom. So this is the only kingdom where when you submit to the law of the king, of the kingdom, you will feel the most free. This is the only kingdom where actually surrender, submission is actually what results in freedom. No other kingdom like that exists. And this paradox is about absolute submission to the lordship of Christ. It is in surrendering to our creator that we, his created, find true freedom. This is the only place where it is possible to completely surrender yourself to be truly free. Other things promise freedom, but nothing else delivers. Nothing else delivers freedom like following Jesus. So we're going to read in John chapter 8, verse 31 to 34. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We're always serving something. And in this day and age, we're serving a ton of things. And Jesus here is speaking to believers, and he says to them that to experience this freedom, to be a part of this kingdom, it's about holding to his teachings. Because he's speaking in 31 to the Jews who had believed in him. He's speaking to believers. And he's saying what it's all about is holding to my teachings, not just a intellectual belief. That to experience this true freedom in Christ, it, it is about holding to his teachings. And think of it this way. As I mentioned before, we're all slaves. We're all serving something, right? Even if you're not consciously thinking of it that way, there's something that's pulling for your, for your time. Like Jim said, something pulling for your time, something pulling for your money, something pulling to become that top priority in your life. We're always serving something. It can be the you know, job, family, demands, impressing other people, caring so much about what others think, serving success, status, respect, money, uh, you serve your heredity, your nature. You know, these can be things that we can be slaves to. And something is always going to control us at any given time, even if we don't think so. Jesus says if you sin one time, we're slaves to sin, because if you weren't, you could just not do it. Right? Do you want to be free from this? You know, that's, that's what I love about this upside-down kingdom is it offers freedom from these things. It offers, it offers really, real freedom. An intellectual faith, though, to experience this freedom, an intellectual faith meaning, you know, I, I believe. And just, and just thinking that in your mind, I believe in a God, 
right? That is not what is going to help you to feel free. That's not how you experience this, this walk with God. That's not how you experience freedom. It is a crucial part of it, obviously, right? But it's not how you experience the true freedom of Christ. So, and I want to explain one of the reasons why people who join the Christian faith, they don't really enjoy the freedom that Christ promises them in the Bible. So this is Martin Luther. Um, he, sola fide, which basically was faith alone, right, is a common thing right now. And that became very popular in the 1500s. And he did it to counter some abuses in the church. And, you know, he started to use Paul's letters as, you know, it's just, it's just faith alone, right? We're saved by grace through faith. And that's where it started to come. And it's, it's a controversial statement these days. Well, it's not that controversial, honestly. A lot of people just accept it's just this intellectual um, faith. And it's being made everywhere, faith alone. And I agree that faith alone can save us and free us, but it has to be genuine faith. It has to be real faith, the faith that leads to action in order to experience the freedom that Christ offers. So what was, the, what was going on? He had, a, he had a big gripe with the book of James as well. And he talks about how, therefore, St. James' letter is a right straw epistle in comparison with them. And he's referring to Paul's. For it has no gospel character to it. Therefore, I will not have it in my Bible. And so what was his, what was his issue, right, with the book of James? And, and by the way, James is the brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. So he was pretty familiar with the gospel message, I'm sure. And so, so what was the issue here? You know, if you read these passages, you can see why. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That flies in the face of the that flies in the face of the agenda of Martin Luther had at that time. And so so we know and James was with Jesus. He was he was a student of the Proverbs, knew Jesus' teachings, and, and James obviously knew the gospel message. And this wasn't at all different from what Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty one, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's the gospel. It's the part of the gospel message to experience that kind of freedom. You know, taking Paul's writings out of context has done a lot of harm to the Christian world. And it's leading people to believe that in order to experience freedom of this kingdom, all you have to do is have this intellectual faith or knowledge that a God exists. And then when they don't feel this freedom, they think Jesus really doesn't deliver on his promises. When they don't feel free, as they, they were promised, you'll feel when you have faith. When you go from atheist to faith, right? And they don't feel it. They think Jesus was lying, that this is a sham. And it's because there's not the application of it, putting it into practice. In order to experience this freedom in this kingdom, we have to return ourselves to our creator and surrender completely to his lordship. Only then can we be free. When Paul wrote the words, we are saved by grace through faith and not by works, he was referring to ceremonial works of Jewish customs as a mean of, means of salvation, as a mode of salvation. That's what he was referring to when he wrote that. He, he, he didn't abandon the importance of morality and how we conduct ourselves as Christians and following Jesus. That was never part. In fact, he speaks very strongly on how we need to conduct ourselves as Christians. So how does this all work? How can the law bring freedom? How can following Jesus really be a freeing experience? How can submission to, to these things actually be freeing? 
as we fight to follow the words of Jesus, it forces us to confront the things that we're currently slaves to. So as we're called to love other people, we're forced to confront our lack of forgiveness. As we're called to give sacrificially, we are forced to confront our greed. As we are called to serve other people, we are forced to confront our pride. As we are called to go here or there for the gospel, we are forced to confront our desire to stay comfortable. Right? So it's in actually trying to live it that you begin to discover what you're actually a slave to in the first place. It's when we actually try to apply the Bible in our lives that we are confronted with these paradoxes. And we can become conscious of what is really going on. What have I been a slave to this whole time that maybe I'm, I'm not even aware of? Fight to follow Jesus' words. It is freeing. James 1, to 25 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. As we surrender our control back to our creator and follow his son, we will begin to unlock real freedom for the first time. I mean, think about it. If, if we really are created and we really have a creator, then wouldn't the most freeing experience be to offer ourselves back to him to find and discover our purpose, to find and discover what we're made, what we're meant for, what we're made to do? You know, think of it this way. If you were a hammer and imagine you're, you're a hammer and you're trying to sew clothes, your life would be extremely frustrating. Like, why can't I do this? I'm just trying here. Right. It would, be, it would look crazy. You know, you try to use parts of the hammer to maybe make it would take so long just to do simple, simple things. Right. But imagine now as a hammer, you return to your original use, which is hammering things. You would feel pretty fired up about life. Like, I'm doing great things here on earth, you know. I'm doing amazing things. And that's what it's like when we offer ourselves back to our God. We finally can find our original purpose in life. What we were made to do, what we were destined to do. And it will be the most fulfilling, freeing experience that any of us can ever feel. This is truly a kingdom of paradox. One where through death you have life. When we're weak, you're at your strongest. And when we surrender to the law of Christ and love people and fight to love people, that freeing experience of loving other people, it will bring us the most freedom we could ever experience. And this is the upside-down kingdom. Coming into this kingdom and becoming part of God's kingdom means that the bad dream is over and your spiritual dream begins with the promise that when you die, it's only the beginning. What would a normal response to the discovery of such a kingdom be? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. When you discover this kingdom, it's worth giving up everything for it. It's worth giving up everything you have to be a part of this kingdom. To be a part of God's kingdom. That was brought to this earth by his son, Jesus. I want to finish with a quote, one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. You can read along with me. The more I resist him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity and upbringing. 
and surroundings and natural desires. In fact, what I so proudly call myself becomes merely the meeting place for trains of events which I never started and which I cannot stop. What I call my wishes become merely the desires thrown up to me by my physical organism or pumped into me by other men's thoughts or even suggested to me by devils. Propaganda will be the real origin of what I regard as my own personal political ideas. I'm not in my natural state nearly so much of a person as I would like to believe. Most of what I call me can be very easily explained. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself up to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. Until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. Thank you. Amen. Pat, thank you so much. And hopefully uh, today we can leave here with a, a better picture and a better understanding of the, the kingdom that God has created and destined for us, which is a little different from what the world might view that to be. Uh, Pat and Alicia are coming up on a year of being here. They've done an amazing job with our youth and family. We appreciate them so much. It was last May that they came into town. And just seeing the number of teens that they've helped to become Christians and the families they've worked with, it's been amazing. So we love them both. Pat, wherever you are, there is. Thank you so much for preaching the word to us and with us today. And uh, if you are visiting with us, we invite you, please come back. We are here next week, same time. We'd love to have you. Find